a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and a very, very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Today I'm joined by a gentleman from St. Louis in the United States of America, a gentleman by the name of Martin Leifeld. Martin, a very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm thrilled at the opportunity to chat with you and, and you know, learn from you. And just uh, just to inform the listeners, Martin, we had kind of a, you know, a five-minute uh, preamble off here, didn't we, around, okay, so where are we going to take this? You know what? What pearls of wisdom is there that um, that Martin can share with us? And I know certainly from the research I've done, there are many. I think the challenge that uh, that we have, Martin, is kind of wow. Well, you know, what do we get out first? Because we're certainly not stuck for choice. And right. under your sort of broad banner of leadership and fundraising, um, I want to set the tone. Um, listeners all know Martin that these. These conversations, these podcast conversations on mastering the game of life, they're not prescriptive. They're free flowing. So I just want to lead you in by um, well, introducing you in a bit more kind of intimate detail to listeners so they get a feel. And then it's kind of over to you. And we'll take the conversation, Martin, where the conversation goes. OK, Paul. So the intro asking to donate money is tough. Martin would sit in his car Rehearsing his ask with sweaty palms, praying he wouldn't get another rejection. Determined to master his craft, he learned the power of discomfort and through powerful human behaviour techniques, he was able to raise over $500 million for three organisations. Raising money is his number one passion and he's since been able to distill the art of fundraising into core fundamental principles and a clear formula anyone can learn. That's some intro, Martin. Take it away. Well, I, I thank you, Paul. Um, uh, you know, just thinking about this moment in time uh, over here in the United States, you know, most of our metropolitan communities, uh, as well as smaller communities, are in, in this kind of quarantine situation where we only leave the homes uh, based on uh, absolute need. And uh, this is projected to continue uh, throughout the month of April and who knows. So, you know, COVID-19 is hitting us kind of square between the eyes. And I know it's having a great impact uh, over in the UK too. So, you know, when I think about fundraising in this kind of situation, you know, we, we, we have to start all over in the sense of saying, okay, given these challenges, you know, what's appropriate, what's not? Uh, how should we be thinking about uh, raising money for, money for our organizations? Should we stop? 
And, uh, you know, should we, should we go and pivot and go in different directions? You know, here in this country, uh, and, you know, one of the things I teach and have practiced in my fundraising career is, you know, you raise the most money, um, typically, you know, through face-to-face engagement by building relationships and other ways of raising money, uh, support that. Uh, but it fundamentally it's face to face. Well, you know, we can't sit down at least at this moment here in the St. Louis region and have a cup of coffee, uh, with somebody. Well, unless we're at least six feet away and, uh, the coffee shop is probably closed anyway. So how do we think about, uh, fundraising given, you know, these unique circumstances? And, uh, one of the things I've been advising uh, and, and hearing from others over here, at least, is number one, don't stop. Don't stop what you're doing. But let's look at it differently. Okay, you cannot sit down and have a face-to-face conversation, but you can through Zoom. Like we, like we have the capability of doing, Paul. Mm. Uh, you know, somebody can be two blocks away. You can have a Zoom call and have a face-to-face interaction which, uh, you know, isn't the same, quite the same, but still is far more dynamic than the telephone or certainly, you know, email and so on. And we can still engage with others. Well, you know, who would have thought about using Zoom to raise money and to build relationships for fundraising purposes before perhaps, you know, very recently with this crisis? Um, you know, people, uh, organizations now are beginning, <laughs> beginning to pivot in the United States because, you know, many raise money through galas and large events, which they have to cancel. But some are responding by moving to virtual events. And, of course, that's considerably different. But they're looking at using virtual events as, way, as a way to uh, raise money and maintain contact. Certainly, we advise those who... Um, who have missions that support various dimensions of addressing the virus to, you know, engage with their constituents and and ask their support, you know, to educate their constituents about why supporting their organization or an aspect of their organization is vital, vital to the greater good. Uh, At the same time, not everyone has that kind of dimension of their organization. And it might be less timely to ask for financial support, but it's always timely to engage in conversations, education, and expressions of sincere sincere concern to one's constituents. Mm. Fundamentally, Paul, I believe that fundraising is a relationship business. And we use tools to help facilitate relationships but it's about relationships so we advise people here in the united states we'll start by getting on the phone uh, having zoom calls reaching out to your people and ask how they're doing don't put money first and don't put your organization first put them as people first because people are carrying a lot of anxiety and worry and concern Many people are lonely because they're kind of, in effect, stuck in their homes. Uh, Everyone's confused, anxious. So let's start by focusing on one another as human beings. And we can get get around to money and so on as things progress. But let's put one another first 
because you know, I, for instance, I have someone who reported uh, to me in our organization uh, at the University of Missouri St. Louis. He was, she was with me for five years. She's been hospitalized for a week and a half with a combination of pneumonia and COVID nineteen. She's she's sixty five years old, like myself. And uh, you know, fingers crossed. We're we're praying and hoping that things will turn out for her. But you know, this is hitting home for a lot of people, either through their they're undergoing it directly, or they have loved ones or people they know that they're concerned about. So let's let's focus on, you know, where people are at uh, uh, among those who sub- are supportive of our organizations. There's this whole thing, isn't there, Martin, where, um, I mean, I love this, I think it's Wikipedia, the, the definition of prosperity, and where I think the natural tendency or reaction is to focus in on money. It gives a very holistic overview of, okay, money might be a part of that, but what about health? And what about things like happiness and relationships that you've alluded to? Um, you know, we tend to kind of take these for granted in life, Martin, don't we? That I think there's so much or there has been so much, <clears throat> excuse me, of a culture around, you know, win at all costs, come first. You know, you've got to do this. You've got to reach targets. You know, you should do this. You should do that. You should do the other. And we forget. Hang on. Just just let's slow this right down. Do you know what? We're human beings. And. First and foremost, you know, let's go back to that tribal approach of sitting around the fire, powwowing, telling stories, being connected with each other. You don't need money for that. And I think we've lost that. And if there's one good thing, Martin, and I'm sure, you know, at the risk of sounding cliched, every cloud and all that. But one of the good things around this recent challenge is it is bringing people together because, well, for a number of reasons, so I just thought I'd throw in that prosperity overview of, of looking at things more holistically rather than hitherto that very narrow, you know, well, money, 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 money is king, cash is king and all that. Yeah, well, I think that's really a fabulous uh, insight, Paul, and so important. You know, when we talk about prosperity, you know, prosperity, we shouldn't be evaluating prosperity by money. We should be evaluating prosperity based on relationships. When I think about right now, uh, in this particular circumstance, I have four older sisters and a younger brother who's only a year and a half younger than me. I mean, we're all in this kind of at-risk category, and some most of us have health issues, which further would, further complicates things for us. Uh, we've started this weekly Zoom call as a group of siblings. There's six of us. And, oh, my God, we are having so much fun. And while we don't say it explicitly, we all understand we don't know at any which time, when whether one or all of us might contract uh, this virus and perhaps be on our being on our way to a different experience of reality, and so relationships are precious. And moments like this, or seasons like this, you know, create this opportunity for us to reassess as people. It creates, you know, and one question, you know, maybe we should be thinking about, and even making, you know, writing, reflecting on is. Well, what matters most? Mm. I think what matters most today, we might answer differently than a month, six months, a year ago. What matters most? I think when we reflect on that, there's a sharpening to it. There's a clarification that comes. There's a simplifying of what matters most because we don't know what tomorrow brings. 
And um, certainly one dimension that's primary for me as I've thought about that is my, is my family, is my wife, is my children and grandchildren, is, is those relationships that have been a part of my life that have come to be precious and for which I've been most grateful. And, you know, this is an opportunity to become so much more human than what we are. You know, I, I, I suspect you're like, like me, Paul. I mean, a, a typical day six months ago would have been, you know, exhausted by the end of the day because of social media, um, by uh, all the demands uh, that are coming upon my life. And frankly, the way I uh, accepted uh, those kinds of things in my life without even blinking. Yeah. Now things have gone in, into a whole different moment in time. And we, you know, I'm looking at life through a different lens. And I, I think most of us are or could be. Absolutely. I want to pick up, I mean, what you've said there, Martin, um, is really, I, w- I want to pick up on that family stroke relationship theme. And I want to share with, with you, um, and listeners, something that happened, you know, at the time of this recording, it happened just a few hours ago. So uh, my ex-wife, we were married, well, we would have been married 37 years today at the time of this conversation now, Martin, between mm. me and you would have been our 37th wedding anniversary. Yesterday, my ex-wife buried her mother. And mm. I wasn't, because I live in Spain now, uh, I wasn't able to get back to my native UK for the funeral to pay my respects. The lockdown uh, meant sure that a maximum of 10 people only were allowed at the funeral with all the distancing. And, you know, she was a very popular lady. So there was a lot of disappointed people that couldn't attend to pay respects. But the point I'm leading to here, Martin, is around how things are changing and the importance and the way we're shifting our thinking I actually sent my ex-wife a text this morning to say, happy, well, I I scored a bit of an own goal because I said happy 36th anniversary, to which she reminded me, no, it's 37, quite (laughs) perfectly. So, okay, that's a lot of credibility straight away then. Um, And just to say, do you know what, girl? I am so sorry for the pain I caused you, but I thank you with immense gratitude for the three special gifts you've given me in in the last couple of kids. They're all grown up now with grandkids, etc., But I then kind of witnessed and reflected, Martin, after that, what for me was a very emotional moment. And and despite my ex-wife's kind of batting it away, I know that it it would have landed with her. And, you know, um, but I reflected on that afterwards and thought, do you know what, Paul, would you have done that six months ago? So there is this magnificent shift, Martin, isn't there, in this? You know, to quote John Major, the British Prime Minister from a few years ago, I think we're starting to go back to basics. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I think about some, certainly, yeah, some of us are more or less inclined to, you know, get to the heart of matters with, with those we care about. But to say, I'm sorry, to say, I love you, to say, I appreciate you for this, that, or the other thing, you know, Now's the time to do that. Mm. Uh, it's an opportunity to do that. It's a moment in time to do that because we're moving into this slower gear and we're more aware of how unknown the future is because uh, our distractions have diminished so much. And to be able to express to others 
things like that, as you shared here. What a gift that is to them, but it's a gift to ourselves too. Uh, you know, you feel better because you said what you said to your, your former wife. Yeah. And as you said, she probably feels better too. And you made a, you, 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 you undertook and said something of true consequence in your relationship. So that is available to every person on the planet. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Absolutely. That in spite of the, the terrible moment in time this is, and the suffering for so many, we have this opportunity, healthy or otherwise, to say, you know, I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm sorry for one thing or another. Please forgive me. This is, and you know, in one way, uh, it is the silver lining, you know, type of thing, but there's certainly an opportunity for us to grasp it and make something of it that's truly meaningful. What that brings in for, for me, Martin, listening to you there was what I call big boys don't cry. You know, that mm. conditioning that we, particularly in the more masculine energy, um, you know, we are conditioned that uh, I certainly was as a child. You know, it's like, shut up, just get on with it. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry for, you know, and all that kind of that approach. And so it's not easy, Martin, is it, for, you know, uh, when you've been subjected to that conditioning, um, and I'm not saying girls, I mean, certainly from my generation in the UK, the girls were allowed to cry. They were encouraged to cry, cuddle the dolls and all that sort of old-fashioned stereotypical stuff. But guys, it's like, big, hence the same big boys don't cry. But I think it's, you know, when we talk about leadership, Martin, and, you know, and, and I know that's part of your world, um, uh, both personally and professionally, haven't, haven't we got a, a responsibility as leaders to to encourage others to to follow that leadership and say, do you know what? Forget the cliches, forget the conditioning, forget the stereotypes. They're only labels. Um, let's let's pull them like you would pull a label off a jam gel, for example, because it's the same thing. And you know what, guys? Be prepared to cry if it's necessary. That release of of emotion, not just for the sake of it, but actually speaking that authentic truth, whether it's to your ex-wife, it doesn't matter who it's to. And as you quite rightly alluded to, Martin, you know, speak that truth to yourself and don't be, don't let that mask strangle um, and hide who, who we really are. You know, and I, I think that's really a, a powerful um, thing to be sharing, Paul. Um, over the years, as I've kind of gone through my waves of suffering, as we all do, I went from kind of this high control German uh, and, and, you know, I'm substantially German in my, my origin to uh, not to say a cry baby, but someone who cries. I was crying this morning, actually, mm. in my uh, morning rituals uh, during the course of my morning rituals. And um, it, it, the stiff upper lip and all of that, we, yes, we lead by with our strengths. But what we really lead by, whether we recognize it or not, is our presence and our authenticity. Mm -hmm. People can see through the baloney. They, can, they, they see through uh, you know, these personas, these false personas. 
They can see us for who we are. We don't want to see ourselves for who we are. We don't want to see reality for what it is. We'd rather pretend and delude ourselves. And believe me, I, I'm first in line to, to fit the, that description. But, you know, I, I, you know, it's less about tears. It's more about embracing this current moment with, with respect and looking upon our humanness and the humanness of others. You know, I heard someone say, and this has been an observation I share, that if you want to grow as a person, there's two primary ways you grow as a person. One is the gift of love. There's nothing quite like love to help us grow and become more generous and more attentive to others and get outside of ourselves and let's be and be less narcissistic. The other gift is the gift of suffering. That suffering is this opportunity to become so much better and deeper as a as a person or bitter. You know, I heard someone just yesterday said, well, Martin, uh, suffering makes you better or bitter. And I thought, oh, I love that because it does. And I think when we encounter suffering, whether it's through a divorce, and I, I have a divorce in my history too. I, I understand how very painful that is. Uh, or the loss of a loved one or the potential loss or an illness or whatever it might be, a job loss because of the, this disruption at the moment. We have, you know, uh, millions of people signing up for unemployment over here in this country. I mean, millions are losing their jobs and millions of people, you know, who are living paycheck to paycheck, they're looking at the prospect of no more paychecks. I mean, talk about anxiety, worry, and concern. But we have more resources than, than money in our lives. We have one another. We have honesty. We have authenticity, as I mentioned. And, um, you know, ultimately those things matter most. What's interesting there, Martin, you mentioned the word um, bitter, you know, in the context of suffering. And that brought, I mean, I'm flying off at a very slight tangent here, but it brought in the question of the language we tell ourselves. You know, why mm. words, the power of words, Take the word bitter, just change one simple letter, the I, mm. and replace it with an E, and all of a sudden, things become better. And people mm. say, oh, you know what, Paul, that's just you being clever and fancy. No, it's not. That's us feeding ourselves a good, solid, staple diet of positive, encouraging words. Because isn't it true, Martin, that what we focus on, we actually end up becoming. So we do have a choice. Mm -hmm. And... That, when you was talking about the, the love aspect, that also sort of nudged me to think about, well, what about its, um, what about its opposite, fear? So there's this kind of old choice thing we have, isn't there? And, you know, people challenge me very strongly when I say that, you know, mastering the game of life is a simple choice. It really is taking those first baby steps, you know, of choosing the language, being aware you know, raising that sort of self-observation about who we are, just those simple little basics that everybody can do, Martin. I mean, I don't right. know what your thoughts are on that because some people find it quite controversial. Well, I don't. Um, and I appreciate it very much, Paul. You know, I, one of the things I've learned, and there's all kinds of science now, uh, studies that have been done is, you know, and books written about gratitude. Mm. 
If one's feeling blue, one's feeling bitter, one's feeling angry, one's feeling depressed, one's feeling anxious, shift, grab a sheet of paper, grab a pencil or a pen, and start writing down what you're grateful for. And it's proven that actually changes um, that one's biochemistry. And uh, every day, I, uh, every evening, one of the things I do is I focus on at least four things I'm grateful for from that day. And if it's a tough day and I haven't come up with four things, I'll, go, I'll, I'll cheat and I'll go beyond uh, you know, literally the day. But it's a great way to bring my day to conclusion because it brings it into a different light if I'm not in the light of gratitude uh, before these reflections. If you're struggling, my, my friends, those of you in the audience, go to gratitude. And if that's hard to do, write it down. It's very, very powerful, and it's a mind shifter. Uh, you know, we, we live, um, you know, you, you live either with a scarce point of view in life or an abundant one. And scarcity leads us to fear and anxiety and, and control and anger. And abundance leads you in the opposite direction. And uh, I think gratitude is a key, at least in my experience, you know, in my life, to move to looking at the life is bigger and better and grander than life is, is you know, small and empty and, and, um, and hurting and painful. Sort of made me re uh, made me uh, recall my memory there. Um, Amy Amy Mosco and Donald Ferguson um, from the states wrote a book: um, gratitude plus forgiveness times love equals uh, happiness. And you know these base I will call them basic constituents. And people say, Paul, they're not. They're so complicated, you know. But they're not, and that's part of the language we tell ourselves, Martin, isn't it? You know, what we're, we're back to that conditioning, what we're taught. Anything in life worth having is sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. Nothing worth, worth having comes easy. Um, and it's this whole kind of, you know, this whole kind of education that we're subjected to. And, the, and, and I'll use the word again, this conditioning at an early age, isn't it? Rather than, and I think times of adversity really presents that golden opportunity to say, Hang on, I've had this belief for all these years. It's not really served me. In fact, just the opposite. You know, when you talk about suffering, let me challenge it. Let me try and sort of, you know, let me see how strong this table of beliefs is and see how strong those labels are. And once we start to rock those legs, we soon found out that, hmm, maybe this is not right after all. So there's this whole kind of voyage of discovery that potentially opens up for us as well, uh, Martin, isn't it, in times of adversity? Well, I think, you know, uh, we as human beings, and certainly we as men, uh, and you've alluded to this, we, you know, we're about pain avoidance, mm. and we're about images, and, uh, and we're called to be courageous. That's certainly a thing we've been grown up with. Men are to be courageous. Well, I tell you, if you want to be courageous, look at yourself honestly. Look at, uh, you know, uh, ask yourself questions to help you identify and understand who you are, who you're not, mm. who you pretend to be. That takes courage and that produces growth. And that actually uh, causes one to suffer. We, we suffer psychologically 
because, oh my God, I'm not who I've pretended to be, who I fantasized and who I've projected myself to be all these years. Mm. I think about the last nine months or so in particular, I've used the, the, the term um, self-emptying. I've been going through uh, kind of a self-emptying process of shedding illusions. And I can't tell you, Paul, how hard that can be some days. Because there are some things that I've had in my mind for decades about myself. And I'm realizing, eh, you know, that's really not true about myself. Mm-hmm. I've pretended it to be the case. So for all the men in the audience, if you want to act courageously and treat yourself with courage, take that. Take that direction with yourself. Absolutely. And as we start to um, to draw to a close here, Martin, and we haven't, and I, you know, I kind of alluded to this at the top of the conversation that we haven't even scratched the surface in terms of you know the the content and the shares that uh, I know that you've got to offer. Um, and so I would absolutely love for you to come back on the show, Martin, and we can open up a whole variety of topics, including fundraising, would you believe? <laughs> um, That's right. <laughs> but um, I think what we have done here, Martin, in this, this uh, you know, this, this beautiful first, what I call a dance. I mean, listeners to the show are used to that, that kind of uh, that language, the dance, that exchange of energy, that vibrancy that uh, that takes place between uh, between guests and myself. Um, but what we have done, I feel, is lay a very, very solid foundation of some great life's principles that are that I know absolutely lis- listeners will benefit uh, from. Not you know, probably not agree with everything. That's fine. There's growth in that as well, as we know. So, but before I um, before we sign off, Martin, a couple of things. Firstly, how can listeners reach out to you? What's your contact details? So um, I can be reached at martin <clears throat> at martinlifefeld.com. Uh, and uh, I would welcome, you know, contacts, comments. Also through LinkedIn. Um, that's another place where people will message me. Uh, Facebook, too. But uh, LinkedIn and my website directly, I think, is the best way to reach me. Uh, folks are interested in looking at the book. I know we didn't really talk hardly a minute about it, but five minutes for fundraising. I might say one word about it. The best thing about this book is not just that, I, you know, it's just my opinions and observations in fundraising, but there's 26 others that serve as collaborators on the book that, I mean, just uh, it's almost uh, it multiplies the value of the book. And you, know, you can get that through Amazon and download it through Amazon. But I'd love to hear from people, certainly. And Paul, I would be honored to, um, you know, get on a call with you again um, to talk about more. Superb. So those contact details will be in the show notes, um, including the the link to to Martin's book, Five Minutes for Fundraising. And uh, just to clarify, Martin is spelt with an I. And his surname is L-E-I-F-E-L-D. So Martin Leifeld. So, okay. So the big question I want to ask you, Martin, um, as we draw this particular episode, this particular dance to a close is, what is the one big piece of advice, insight, share, call it what you will, legacy creation um, that you want to leave to leave listeners with and i always try and put that martin in some kind of in boxing terms knockout punch almost your proverbial you know we've got 30 seconds in a lift 
we're, you know, and we're going up to the next level. Oh, hello, Martin. Nice to meet you. Uh, by the way, in 30 seconds, t- give me something that will change my life, will you please? Ah. <laughs> no, no pressure, Martin. No pressure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No pressure. I'm going to go back to what we've been talking about, Paul. Uh, reach to your, reach out to your, your relationships. Reach out to them, appreciate them, express to them gratitude for who they are and what they've done for you. Make apologies where necessary. Say that four-letter word, love, I love you, to one another. Make that your aim. Life is short. We don't know how long we'll have people to the left and right of us we've taken for granted. Let's not take them for granted anymore. Let's take advantage of this moment in time and, 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 and be loving and kind and direct with one another. And we will reciprocate as a result. We will re- people will reciprocate, I should say, and we will be blessed and benefit from s- similar kinds of comments coming our way. And that, to, to re, uh, recycle a word that's been used quite a few times, Martin, that's the ultimate dance in life between us, isn't it, as human beings, to be able to do what you've just said. That's the ultimate dance. Well said. There we have it, listeners. Immense gratitude to Martin Liefeld from St. Louis in the United States of America. And all that remains now for me to sign off by saying, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.